across this idea a couple years ago, and, and it seems like I'm constantly reminded of it every few days or few weeks on social media. Maybe you've heard of it. It's this idea of first world problems. Anybody ever heard of this? You ever heard of this? First world problems are really this idea that, you know, we say things because we forget how privileged we really are. And we say things or we're upset about things that people in third world, maybe less industrialized, less wealthy countries, they would roll their eyes or even be angry. Like they can't even relate to the struggles that we are having in our first world life. Like, let me just give you some examples. These are just a few that I'm going to read. I'll show you a couple on the screen in just a minute. But I ran across, I just typed in Google, first world problems. And here were a few that came up. My personal trainer took the week off, so I had to work out alone. That's always my struggle, right? I just decide not to work out until they come back, and it's been about four years. So my wallet won't close because there's too much money in it. First world problem, right? I never have that issue. Um, I have to watch this Netflix movie on my phone because my iPad battery died, right? That's just frustrating. That's just, that's just a first world problem. Um, my car's leather seats get really cold in the winter. That's a first world problem there. Uh, the barista at Starbucks spelled my name wrong again on my $5 cup of coffee. That's a, that's a first world problem. You know, my office water cooler is out of water, so I had to walk across the street during lunch to buy a bottle of water. First world problem, right? So here's a few that I just ran across. We'll throw these up on the screen. Uh, these are things, I don't have enough dip for my chips, but if I open another container, I won't have enough chips for my dip. <laughs> Anybody ever been there? Now, there's a theme to these. They all have to do with food. I think I was hungry when I put this together. I'm not sure. Throw the next one. Um, I left the remote on the other side of the room. So it's like, I'm just going to watch whatever's on this channel because I am not getting up. First world problem here. Here's another one. I'm so tired of eating at all the restaurants near my work. First world problem, right? Here's another one. Uh, I poured my cereal into the bowl without checking to see if we still had milk, and we didn't. You ever done that? That's fresh because now you're just eating dried granola. That's all you're eating right? Or you're stopping at McDonald's on the way to work. I can't open the bag of chips because my fingers are too greasy from the first bag of chips. <laughs> first world problem, right? I mean, like if you, Pastor Trevor said one this morning, we were, we were talking, we, we all went to a conference earlier this week, some of our staff did, and, and so we were coming back and, and Trevor had to catch a flight pretty early with some of our other staff members. Their flight left at 5.40 a.m. coming back to Atlanta, which meant he had to get up at like 3.30 or, you know, leave the hotel at 4 to get to the airport. And this is exactly what he said. He was like, it was so frustrating. We got to the airport before any of the restaurants were open. First world problem. Like, can you, can you hear like a third world person listening to him say that and going, yeah, yeah, I can't eat because it's too early either. It's not spring yet. The harvest hasn't come in, right? First world problems. Because what we forget sometimes if we're not careful, what we forget is that in our life of privilege, in, in our life that we have, and it doesn't matter if you consider yourself rich in this room, it doesn't matter if you think you're middle class or even lower class, like we are in this world, in all of us, you know that the politicians love to talk about the 1% right now in our country, all of us are in the top 1% of the world, right? And so all of us have something to be thankful for. We all have something to be grateful for. And we really, in our struggles, because like our, you know, our iPhone charger cord is a little too short for us to have it plugged in and play with it while we're laying in bed. Okay, well, uh, that's not a real problem, right? And, and so sometimes if we're not careful, we, we see problems that we have. We see these things that we have, 
and we get frustrated about them. But if we would zoom out and take a little larger perspective about life, then we would realize that there are other people who would give anything to trade places with us. Right? I mean, and I'm not even trying to take this like really sad and sappy and you go, you're right, I'm so blessed because I have an iPhone charger. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. It's just this idea that if we're not careful, we forget just how privileged we are. Now, I want you to think about your job for a minute. If you have a job, if you're retired or maybe you're unemployed right now or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or dad and that's okay, you can kind of follow along. You understand this principle. But if you have a job, I want you to think about your job. Now, I don't know what you were hired for. Maybe you were hired at some point in your past. You were the guy that like, was hired to make the widgets and make the thing, and you were the guy or the girl that was hired to like, balance the books and add all the numbers together and tell us if we got any money left at the end of the quarter. But like, you were hired for a specific job, right? So think about that. Now, you have a job description probably. Maybe it's something that's on paper. Maybe it's something that you, know, you, you were given that job description. Now, I want you to imagine, if you would, that you know, one day you do your job. You No more, no less. You just do your job. And at the end of the day, your boss walks up to the door of your office and knocks on the door and says, uh, Hey, uh, you know, Trevor, I, I just I want to thank you today for working really hard. And uh, you, know, you did your job today. Like, thank you. We hired you to make the widgets. And you made the widgets today. Like, you didn't make a lot. You didn't make too few. You just made the right amount. And so, like, way to go. Here's an extra $100. Like, here's a bonus for doing your job. Does that ever happen? No? No? I didn't get an amen right there. So what we, what we understand is, like, there's a bonus scale at some of our jobs. There are year-end bonuses. There are things that we get extra compensation for. But for the most part, if we're hired to do a job, we're just supposed to do that job, Right? Like, you know, again, if you don't do any more than your job or any less than your job, like you're just supposed to kind of hit your target, do the job, make the widgets, balance the books, fill the coffee, whatever it is that your job is, that's what you were hired to do. And so that's how we're compensated. That's how we know if we're doing our job. And so if you do that job, you cannot expect to get something extra, right? Well, that's kind of the present day context that Jesus uses in Luke chapter 17, and so if you've got a Bible, I want you to flip to Luke 17 with me for just a few minutes. And I want us to conclude this series that we've been looking at for the last few weeks called The Power of Gratitude. This series on gratitude has really been challenging to me because it's more than just posting what we're thankful for. It's more than just telling people, oh, I'm thankful, this is Thanksgiving, and we're going to pass the candles around and tell what we're thankful for at the dinner. And all of that is great. None of that is bad. But if, we, if it doesn't get into our hearts, if we don't fully understand all that we have to be thankful for, I'm not sure that we actually are grateful. And so we want to conclude today looking at Luke 17 and talk about the grateful privilege. We're going to begin reading in verse 7. This is, this is uh, Luke recording here, Jesus telling a story. And he says this, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at the table. And would he not rather, would he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Now, this is a difficult passage to understand. It's a difficult passage to read. If you really dig into what Jesus is saying here, this is, this is a pretty challenging passage. But here, here's the idea, okay? He said, listen, if any of you had a servant and he was out doing his job, just kind of keeping the flock or, you know, tending the fields, and he was doing what he was supposed to do as your servant, and then after a long day, he comes in from the field, would you say to him, hey, you know, why don't you come, take a load off, 
rest, come to the table, let's eat together? He said, no, that's not what you would say. Even though that servant has worked hard all day long, you know what you would say to him because he's your servant? You would say, hey, come in, help me get dressed for dinner, fix dinner, then serve me dinner, and after I have eaten, then you can eat. Man, that, this is not one of those great passages where we're like, man, this, this feels really good about Jesus here. This is the exciting part of listening to something that Jesus would write. But this is what Jesus is saying. Listen, if you got a servant, what is the servant supposed to do? When he comes in from keeping your fields, when he comes in from keeping your flocks, he's supposed to fix you dinner. And he's supposed to help you change clothes. And he's supposed to help serve you dinner. And then after all of that is done and you are done eating, then he gets to eat. Then he gets to sit. And you go, man, I don't even know how I feel about what Jesus is saying here. And I'm going to help make it even worse. Because guess what? In this story, you and I are not the rich man. We're not the one who has a servant. We are the servant. And so Jesus is saying about us in relationship to him, he says, hey, listen, if you've worked hard all week long and you get done working hard all week long, you should not just get to Sunday and go, ah, you know what? I've done a whole lot. I'm going to I'm just going to kind of sit and take in all that God has for me. He says, no, no, no. Now you have a responsibility to serve. You have a responsibility to give. You have a responsibility to invest something. You're supposed to do your servant work, and then when all of that is done, then you can partake of anything that is left over for you to have. And man, when I, when I hear that, when I read that, I'm going, this is not one of those easy ones to teach on. This is not one of those, like, eat, I, just, I just read it and I go, man, this gives me, like, warm fuzzies. Like, this is exciting what I'm reading here. Like, this should have been on, like, the sign-up sheet. Like, you read this and you go, yeah, I want to be a Christian. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really what I'd like to do. I would like to serve and slave all day long and then give more and give more and give more. And if anything's left over, then I'll eat and then I'll drink. But Jesus refused ever in the Gospels. Let's make sure we hear this. He refused ever in the Gospels to make Christianity, which wasn't even really a phrase at that point, but to make following Christ, to make being in a relationship with God, to make being a disciple something that was a first world problem. Like he says, no, 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 this is not like, oh, it's rose-colored glasses that we're looking at here. It, it, we're not just going to go, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, God's a genie in a bottle, and we get to just kind of go up to him and say, hey, I've got this wish here. I've got a test I didn't study for. Can you help me get an A? Um, I'm not really being a good steward of my money, but will you help me have enough to pay the bills? Hey, um, I don't treat my spouse correctly, but would you help my marriage be good? Um, I don't ever read the Bible. I don't really go to church until it's convenient, but, like, I want to have a good relationship with you, God. He's like, no, 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 no. No, I'm going to push in here a little bit. This is what Jesus is saying. I'm going to make sure that you know, this is not like, hey, you know, my iPhone charge cord is not long enough. He's like, no, 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 that's a, that's a first world problem. He's like, no, no, you, you really want to follow me? Then let me just push you a little bit and say, it's not about the restaurants not being open because it's too early. It's like, you've got to go out and dig up anything you're going to eat. He said in the Gospels, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds treasure in a field and goes and sells everything he has and comes back and buys the field just in hopes of finding more treasure there. He says, listen, this is not like I just get to kind of be easy Christian. There is no I'm just kind of sort of following Jesus. 
It's like, no, no, no. If you want to follow Jesus, then you're the servant who has slaved away all day long in the field, all day long keeping the flock. And if when you show back up at the house, you're expecting Jesus to go, wow, way to go. Here's a $100 bonus for doing your job. Come eat with me. He says, no, you know what you can expect? Yeah, okay, well then keep being faithful as a servant. Keep doing what you're called to do as a servant. Come and help me do my work. Come and prepare the meal for others to eat, even when you don't get to eat. Come and clothe me so that people can see my glory, see me reflected in you. Come and do all these things to lift me up because it's not about you. It's pretty quiet in here this morning. I realize as I'm reading this and as I'm talking through some of this, you go, wow, man, Jeremy must be in a bad mood. No, I'm in a great mood. This is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus says. He said, listen, if you're trying to follow me in a first world problem type of mentality, then you've missed the call to following. You've missed the call to discipleship. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we read this from the Apostle Paul. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You know what he doesn't say? That your spiritual worship is reading words off of a screen. He doesn't say that your spiritual worship is kind of humming along while everyone else is singing. He says, your spiritual worship, my spiritual worship, is making my body a living sacrifice. Now, I don't want to get too gruesome here, so I'll just ask it very generically. When was the last time we sacrificed anything as worship to God? Like in the Old Testament, they did it all the time. It's like, hey, I've got to worship God, so I'm going to take something out of my possession. I'm going to take a lamb or a goat. I'm going to take a sheep. I'm going to take a dove. I'm going to take something that I own, something that is precious to me, and I'm going to sacrifice it as worship unto God. When was the last time we did that? Now, I realize sometimes when we give, it's a sacrifice. I get it. I realize sometimes when we serve, it's a sacrifice. I get it. I realize sometimes when you go to your life group, it's a sacrifice. I get it. I realize when sometimes you do outreach, you go to that tree and you pull off a tag and you're like giving, you know, a new pair of shoes to a kid at Canton Elementary School here in our community who otherwise would not have Christmas. I realize for some of us that's a sacrifice and I'm so thankful for that. But on a regular basis... If Paul is saying, I, I plead with you, I beg of you, by the, by the mercy of God, make your bodies a living sacrifice. How do I, how do you sacrifice ourselves as worship unto God? And not only that, but he says, holy and acceptable to God. Now, holiness is a word that we used to use a lot in the church. We don't use it as much anymore. But just think about holiness as cleanliness. And I'm not just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get there in a second. So if you're really theological in the room, don't freak out here. But if you just think about something that's dirty, you got a washcloth at your house or a towel and you, you cleaned up something and it's got some, some dirt and some mud and some something on it. Holiness is really the cleaning, the cleansing of that towel. 
So it's the idea that what was dirty is now made clean. And so you and I, if we understand the basic principle of, of Christ and him going to the cross and being sin for us and forgiving our sins, it's saying, I am dirty, I am unholy, and so through Christ, I am made holy. I am made clean. Now, not just of my own doing. I can't be clean enough because I'm good enough. I'm only clean enough. I'm only holy enough because Christ is holy. The only way this transaction works is because what Scripture tells us is that, that he who knew no sin became sin for us. He who was clean completely, Jesus Christ, became dirty on our behalf through the cross, not through sin, and took on our punishment so that you and I could be made clean. When God looks at us looking for cleanliness, looking for holiness, he looks at us through the filter of Jesus Christ's holiness. So he's looking through Jesus, and by the time he sees us, he sees holiness. If you've ever put on those glasses when you were a kid, maybe, or it was like a decoder ring or something, you had like a certain shade, and you could look at it, and you could see like a hidden message, or you could see something on paper that you couldn't see with the naked eye. That's almost what, Jesus, what God does. He looks through the decoder ring of Jesus to see us, and he sees something in us that we can't produce on our own. God, through Jesus, sees us as holy. He sees us as acceptable. And so when I'm reading the gospel account, when I'm reading the story of Luke, when I'm finding the words of Paul as he says, let your bodies be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And then I go to the words of Jesus and he says, no, no, listen, here's the deal. Like if you're the servant, if you're following me, if you're a disciple, if you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, like this is not a first world problem kind of thing. Like you just get to hang out on the fringes. No, you need to cling to Jesus so that when God comes looking for you, he can only find you in Jesus. Right? He's, not, he's not just looking for you hanging out in the fringes going, man, I worked hard today. Like I don't know if you know this God, but like, I've done a lot for you. Like, I'm a, I'm a good servant. Like, I've done a lot of good things for you. Like, I attend really regularly here. Like, yeah, I mean, I've got a lot going on in the week, but like every Sunday for about an hour or so, like, I sit here. God, you should be thankful that I prioritize this time for you. No, no, no. I, that's a first world problem. There are literally people in the world today, this morning, who will lose their life because someone says to them, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? And they cannot hang out on the fringes anymore and go, I'm a good servant. He owes me something. They have to come to the place where they say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, knowing that it may cost them their life or relegate themselves to the fringes. My hope this morning is not to make you feel bad. Like, Jeremy's not in a bad mood. <laughs> this is not Jeremy kind of harping on us. There's not a problem that I see. This is saying, what does God say to us about following him? Paul refused to preach a first world problem kind of gospel. In the churches that he was a part of, in the churches he planted, in the people that he engaged with, he continually pushed them towards the kind of life that Jesus was calling his followers to. 
I want to read this from Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 27 and reading a couple of verses. This is what Paul is writing to this church in Philippi, and he is just pushing them more and more and more into what it means to be a follower. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents, there is a clear sign to them of your destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For, if it, ha- for it has been granted to you that, the, that for the sake of, the, of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. He says, listen, if you want to be a follower of Christ, you have to suffer for him a little bit. Like there's a call that even in the suffering, I'm following. Even in the suffering, I'm reflecting his glory. There's a sense of devotion to God. There's a sense of duty to God. And we don't get extra brownie points for that. Like this is not, oh, if you are called to suffer for his namesake, you get an extra jewel in your crown in heaven. No, no, no. You just get to be thankful that you end up in heaven. Right? He said there's no extra brownie. Nobody's walking around handing bonus checks out because you went to church today. You served today. You gave something to God. There is a call of duty to God, of devotion to God. Now, the next couple of minutes are going to sound like some kind of sales pitch, and that's not it at all. But as I was really praying through this message, as I was asking the Holy Spirit to challenge me and to speak to me and then to speak to us, here's some things. That, there's a call to serve in the church. This is not like, hey, we've, we need you because we don't have enough people to serve. That's, that's not the reality. There's a call to give of ourselves, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That is our reasonable or our spiritual act of worship. And so here's what I know. There are children in our community who do not have anyone who shows them love, attention, or affection, who calls out their goodness and their potential and their greatness. And there is an opportunity every single time we gather for some of us to give of our time, to give of our energy, to give of our resources, and to be in in a children's environment where we can say to those children, I believe in you. God believes in you. What your family is is not what you have to be because there's goodness in you. There's greatness in you. There's a call to serve. There's students in our community, in our middle schools, in our high schools, that they may walk into an environment on a Wednesday night and they say, well, yeah, I just want to be that casual observer of Christianity because I'm going to live one way on Wednesday nights or on Sunday mornings, but I'm going to live a different way Monday through Friday at my school or Friday night with my friends or Saturday night with my friends. And there are some of us who could give of our time and our energy and walk into that environment on Wednesday night and say, no, 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 I want to help you avoid what I did when I was 15 years old. I don't want you to be as far behind in a relationship with Jesus Christ because you don't get serious until after you go to college. I don't want you to make mistakes as a 14-year-old or a 17-year-old like I made, and I want you to take your life seriously, and I'm going to give of my time to invest in your time because I've been called to serve. 
I've been called to go out into the field, and when I come back into the field from the field tired, I'm going to give even more because that's what a good servant of God does. There are people any given Sunday who walk into the front doors of this school, and in a few weeks we'll walk into the front door at 110 Bluffs Parkway, and they have said, either verbally or in their head, today's the last time I'm going to give God a chance. Today's it. This is the last time that I give church a chance. I've tried it. It doesn't work. I've prayed. He doesn't hear me. I'm going to give him one more chance. Somebody at work invited me. I saw a mailer, a postcard. I saw the new sign up on the road. I saw the flag out in front of Sequoia. And I'm just going to give him one more chance. Because I'm a good servant of God. Even though I'm tired from slaving away in the field all day long, I'm going to be standing there at that front door when they walk in. And I'm going to welcome them. And say, we are so glad you're here. And I'm going to mean it. And I'm going to ask them their name. And they're going to come in and someone's going to help them find a seat. And they're going to walk back out of these doors when it's over. And after they leave, I'm going to call them by name and thank them for coming. And ask them if they'll be back next week because I can't wait to see them again. And guess what? Next Sunday they may just show up and give God one more chance. Because last week they gave him a chance. And you showed up to meet that need. There is a call to serve God through the local church. We have a wooden Christmas tree on a table out in front. And there's just a few cards left, and I'm so thankful for that. I celebrate that. That tree started with 80 cards on it because there were 20 kids at Canton Elementary School who probably wouldn't get Christmas if we didn't serve, if we didn't give. And so last week, some of you walked up to that tree And you took about 60 cards off of that tree. But let me challenge us, because I know I'm guilty of this sometimes. If you take a card and you look at that and go, yeah, it's just a a pair of tennis shoes. Yeah, it's just a new shirt that they want. Yeah, they just, they, they were told they could ask for anything for Christmas. And they wrote down a soccer ball. Sometimes there's a sense in our heart We take that tag and we go down to Target and we buy them a soccer ball. We bring it back to the church and we lay it by the table. And we check off the to-do list that we were generous this year. And the church takes those gifts and takes them to the school. And the school gives them to those kids. And we sit around in our homes, around our trees, eating our dinners. And we say, yeah, I'm a good servant because I worked in the field today. I'm a good servant because I gave a little bit this year. All of that is good. But if our heart is in the wrong place, if we are not looking at it through the lens that Jesus looked at it, and we say, he owes me something because I was generous. I gave. He should be proud of that. I've done enough. We have missed what Christ is calling us to. I'm going to ask the band to come. I want us to look at the very last verse that we just read a few minutes ago in Luke 17. As we kind of conclude this idea, I want us to look at verse 10 one more time. Because he said, listen, if you go out in the field and you're the servant and you work all day and you keep the flock and you, you till up the ground and you plant new seed and you come back in and 
You think you're going to get a break, but your master says, no, 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 now you fix the dinner and help me be clothed and then serve me dinner and let me eat. And then when I'm done, then you get to do something. At the end of that, would we be bitter? Would we be ungrateful? Would we be mad? Would we have in our heads or our hearts what some of us have in our heads or our hearts right now and go, how in the world is this the compassionate Jesus that we've been sold on? How is this like a good, loving God? How could a good, loving God allow terrible tragedy to happen like it's been happening in the last few days? How could a good and loving God send people to hell? How, if we're trying to make it fit in our first world problem type of gospel, listen to verse 10 and how Jesus concludes. He says, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Given a soccer ball at Christmas isn't extra. It's what you've been called to. Serving through the local church isn't extra. It's what we've been called to. Talking to our neighbors who we know are far away from God about God isn't extra. It's what we've been called to. We are unworthy servants. The day that we ever approach God as worthy servants, we are wrong. We are sinful. We are unholy. We are unacceptable. But if we say, God, I'm an unworthy servant. Everything that I do, I do because it's my duty to follow you. Do we view following God as our right, as our blessing, or do we view following God as privilege? Because guess what? Guess what? We don't deserve the opportunity to be his servant. He could have chosen anyone. But for those of us that are Jesus followers in the room, he chose us. And if you're not a Christ follower in the room, he has chosen you too. Now it's an opportunity to respond to him and say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to be in relationship with you. I give my devotion to you. I give my sense of duty to you. It is my privilege. It is my privilege. I realize not every day on your job is a great day. I realize some days you're asked to do things that aren't on the job description. I realize some days you're asked to do exactly your job description and other people seem to be getting promotions. They seem to be getting opportunities to expand their portfolio and you're like, why not me? I realize sometimes following Christ, not every day is a great day. I know sometimes you see other people that seem to kind of be figuring it out at a little quicker pace than you think you are. I know you look around and you see some people and you go, man, they're, 
they're kind of receiving the blessing of God a little faster than I'm receiving. And I, I want to get the blessing. I, I want to find the best that God has for me. I, here's what I know. Instead of looking around your job and wondering why you're not getting a bonus, what if you changed your entire perspective to say, thank you, God, I have a job. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not just preaching at you here. I, I'm saying this to myself. Even on the days where I hate that day, I didn't accomplish anything that I feel like moves the ball down the field. I didn't do, thank you, God, that I have a job. And sometimes we're not, we don't ever get to that place until we don't have a job. Some of you have walked that road. Some of you are walking that road right now. What if we just changed our perspective and said, God, I choose to focus on my devotion and my duty and my responsibility. Thank you, God, that I get to do this. Not that I have to do this. Changing from a have-to mentality to a get-to mentality changes everything. On my job, I don't have to do this. I get to do this. In my relationship with Christ, I don't have to serve. I don't have to give. I don't have to be generous. I don't have to tell other people about Christ. I get to serve. I get to give. I get to be generous. I get to tell other people about the life-changing message of Jesus Christ and how he changed my life. I don't have to. I get to. It's a privilege. And I'm grateful for the privilege. So this week as we prepare to eat turkey and dressing and maybe some ham thrown in there and some stuffing and some vegetables, which are not my favorite, and some desserts, which are my favorite, I'm going to choose to focus on the privileges in my life, the things that I don't have to do but that I get to do because I'm the servant out in the field. And when he calls me in, I get to serve him more. I get to serve him in a greater way, to a greater degree, to do things that years ago I would have given anything to be a part of. You're, you're telling me somebody would trust me to teach kids about Jesus? You're telling me that somebody would trust me to lead a group of adults in a Bible study? You're telling me that someone would entrust to me the opportunity to give to people that don't have Christmas and God has blessed me with the resources to be able to do that? Thank you, God, that I get to serve you. It is my privilege. Let's pray. God, today I thank you for the privilege of being your servant. I thank you, God, for the opportunity to give of my time and my talent and my resources and my finances and anything else that I have, God, for the things that you put in front of me as opportunities. God, help us not to live and to follow you in a first world problem type of mindset. But God, let us realize the privilege that we have and how blessed we truly are. With nobody looking around, every head in the room bowed, if you would say to me, Jeremy, I, all this sounds great, I guess. But if I'm being honest, I know that I am not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I know that I have to acknowledge that I am a sinner today in need of a Savior. And today, I just want to say, yeah, I, I need to become a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to be a servant of Jesus Christ. I want to live in that higher calling to do something that matters for eternity.
if you would say that, I just want you to lift your hand right where you're at. Nobody's looking around. You can put it right back down in just a moment. You can put it right back down. Anybody else? Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, I know I'm saved. I'm a follower of Christ. And I want to live in a mindset that's not I have to, but that I get to. I want to change my mindset this season, and I want God to just cement it in my heart that I get to serve. I get to give. I get to be generous. I get to tell other people. I want to see life as a privilege in Jesus Christ. I want to live as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Would you just lift your hand and put it right back down? Thank you so much. God, I thank you for every hand that was lifted this morning. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to respond to you, that your grace extends even to this morning, that your mercy is enough for us today. And so God, today I pray for every one of us that we'd follow the call to be your disciples, to be your hands and feet extended. God, let us change our perspective and live in ways that honor you. God, let us see serving as an opportunity that you put in front of us, giving as that opportunity, outreach is that opportunity, generosity is that opportunity, evangelism is that opportunity. God, let us be a blessing because we've been blessed by you. It's not I have to, but I get to. Let us live in such a way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.